0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast that takes a look at popular songs of the past and dives into their history, their meaning, or any other things that might be of interest surrounding those songs. My name is Claude Cole and I hope everybody's comfortable with that by now. You know, if you want to get in touch with me, probably the best way is to find me on Twitter at How Pod. Or you can leave a comment on the website, HowGoodItIs.com, where you can find some additional trivia, follow-ups, and other stuff that I found interesting. And finally, I should note that you can find the show on Facebook and follow it there. We're at Facebook.com slash pod. Listen, before I get started, I want to do a thing here. I'm not going to do this every week, but I think it'll be fun to do it from time to time. I've got a trivia question for you. Let me, let me get rid of Marcos there and... Tell me this. What do these musical groups have in common? The Marshall Tucker Band, Derek and the Dominoes, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and Steely Dan. Okay? What do those groups have in common? Once again, Marshall Tucker Band, Derek and the Dominoes, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Steely Dan. Uh, Let me throw in one more, although this one might be a giveaway. Jethro Tull. Okay? I'll have the answer at the end of the show. Mm. You know, Marty Robbins' song, El Paso, has always held a certain fascination for me, for a vast number of reasons. Out in
1: the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl.
0: First, for a song that was released in 1959, it's very long, coming in at 4 minutes and 40 seconds. That's a gamble that paid off for Columbia Records, though, because from the time it was released in October of that year to the first week in 1960, El Paso made a steady climb all the way to the top of the billboard chart, spending two weeks in that spot and making it the first song longer than four minutes to hit the number one spot. The song also topped the country chart and won the first Grammy Award for Best Country and Western Song. Next, the lyrics take an interesting turn part way through. The song starts out with the narrator telling a story, as in, here's what happened to me. But a little more than halfway through, the song changes tense, and now everything is being told in the present tense as it happens. Which leads me to the third thing that's kind of fascinating about this song. This might be the only pop song in the rock and roll era where the narrator actually dies at the end of the song. So what's the origin of this song? Did Marty Robbins, in fact, have a crush on a Texas girl named Felina? Eh, I'm afraid not. But if it's any consolation, the name Felina derives from the name of a girl Robbins knew when he was in fifth grade, named Fid... Fidelina, I think if that's how it's pronounced. For a while in the late 1950s, Marty Robbins traveled from his uh, home in Phoenix to various gigs in Texas, and as he did, he often passed through the town of El Paso, which doesn't make a lot of sense on its face, but when you realize just how far apart the highways are in that segment of the country, well, El Paso becomes a more natural part of the route. But Robbins liked the sound of the town's name, thinking it was kind of romantic, and he promised himself that one day he'd write a song about it. Then one day in 1957, when he was on his way home to Phoenix for Christmas, the first line of the song came to him.
1: Out in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl.
0: And for the rest of the ride home, the story took shape while he drove. By the time he arrived in Phoenix, he had all the lyrics down, and he even had some idea of what the melody would sound like. And make no mistake, while the lyrics to the song are definitely cinematic, the musical elements are equally captivating. You've got Grady Martin's guitar work, which opens the song with a definite Spanish flavor and carries it through to the end. And the other element that, in my head, that makes the song great are those harmonies, especially in the bridges, by uh, Bobby Sykes and Jim Glazer.
1: One night a while, little cowboy came in Wild as the West Texas wind
0: Tim Glazer, by the way, was very soon to become famous as part of the Glazer Brothers. The producer on this record, by the way, was Don Law, who was known chiefly for being the person who produced the only known recordings of blues legend Robert Johnson back in the 1930s. Oh, and here's another bit of trivia for you. See, it's trivia night. This song is technically a B-side since Columbia did hedge its bets a little bit. But hey, when your artist turns in a song with nine verses and three bridges, and clocking in at 4 minutes and 40 seconds, who could really blame them? So, they had the song edited down to just over three minutes. The DJ edit, which was the A side, cut the first, second, fourth, I'm sorry, cut the second, fourth, and fifth verses, the third bridge, and the first half of the sixth verse. Yeah, they cut half a verse. That's a lot of cutting, boy. But as I've said here more than a couple of times, the DJs decided that the long version was better and started playing that. And that was the B side of the promotional single. There's also a third version of the song out there, and that's the stereo version that's also been edited, but it's only missing the fourth verse, the one where the narrator reflects on the foul, evil deed he's done. Okay, so I mentioned before about the song winning the first Country and Western Grammy. It's also been chosen by the Western Writers of America as one of the top 100 Western songs of all time, and Country America magazine listed it as number six in their top 100 country songs of all time. As for Marty Robbins himself, well, he went on to further successes, not only as a singer, but also an actor, a TV host, NASCAR race driver, and a writer. Yes, he authored a book titled The Small Man. The book is now out of print, and in fact it is so out of print that I couldn't possibly find a copy, no matter how much research I did. The only thing I was able to get out of my research is that it's a Western. Go figure. Also, it's 108 pages long. But despite all that, Robbins did take the time to return to El Paso in 1966 with a song titled Felina from El Paso.
1: Out in New Mexico many long years ago There in a shack on the desert one night in a
0: storm it tells the story of Felina and how she grew up to become the girl in the previous song. In fact, there's a little bit of changing the timelines from the previous song and a suggestion that the cowboy who died did so saving her life by taking a second bullet which would have hit her otherwise, but his heroism didn't last for long. Rap
1: for the six gun that he wore and screaming in anger and placing the gun to her breast. We'll and maybe we'll find peace Then pull in the trigger She fell across the dead cowboy's chest Out in El Paso, whenever the wind blows If you listen closely at night You'll hear in the
0: wind Yeah, here's the P.S. They're actually haunting the town of El Paso A woman
1: is crying, it's not the wind sight. Old timers tell you Felina is calling
0: for him And by the way, if you thought El Paso was long, well, this one comes in at over eight minutes. Marty Robbins returned to the town once more in 1976 with a song he wrote called El Paso City, wherein the singer is flying over El Paso and has a memory of a song he heard long ago.
1: From 30,000 feet above the desert floor, I see it there below. A city with a legend the West Texas City of El Paso.
0: And then he mostly just recaps the original song. The song has a lot of little meta winks and musical callbacks to the first two songs, though. It reached number one on the country charts that year of 1976 and would have led to still one more sequel titled The Mystery of Old El Paso had Robbins not died in 1982 before he could finish it. Okay, so let's come back to that trivia question from the start of the show. I had asked what these bands have in common. Marshall Tucker Band, Derek and the Dominoes, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Steely Dan, and Jethro Tull. Okay? Marshall Tucker, Derek and the Dominoes, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Steely Dan, and finally Jethro Tull. Here's the answer. All of these bands contain the name of a person who isn't a member of the band. There is no Marshall Tucker in the Marshall Tucker Band. That band got its name from a blind piano tuner who had rented out the studio space right before that band came in and they decided they liked the way his name sounded. Derek and the Dominoes came from Eric Clapton's desire to release an album more or less anonymously. And it pretty much worked because that Layla album tanked at first until the song Layla appeared on a different album. Frankie Goes to Hollywood, they found their inspiration on a Frank Sinatra poster, which read specifically, Frank Goes to Hollywood. They said that's a good name for a band, so they went with it. Steely Dan, they got their name from a strap-on dildo mentioned in the William S. Burroughs novel, Naked Lunch. And... Okay, now I hear the joke. And finally, Jethro Tull got their name from their booking agent, who borrowed the name from the 18th century agriculturalist who invented the seed drill. Supposedly, in their early days, Jethro Tull was having a problem getting repeat gigs. So they kept changing the name of the band. But what happened was it was the booking agent who kept coming up with the different names for the band. And Ian Anderson said there were times when he would go to the club... And when he saw the name of a band that he didn't recognize, he knew that's how they were playing for the evening. And that's it for this edition of How Good It Is. Hey, if you want to get in touch with me, don't forget, you can always email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at howgooditispod. And don't forget, you can also check out and follow Joe's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. And finally, you can check out the show's website, HowGoodItIs.com, where I get to throw in a few extra bits of stuff for you. Next time, we're going to discover how good it is to find out what really happened in MacArthur Park. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you then.